First, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm um, glad you guys can be here with us. Today is a really unique day for us in that we are doing baby dedications as well as baptisms all in the same service. And so um, when I get on stage here, you see the wet pants. Um, no accident. Just was baptizing people last hour. So um, speaking of accident, a- accidents, we're going to have opportunity to do baby dedications, like I said, um, in just a moment. And no, uh, no, 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 no. Gosh, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I meant way more like how they, oh, <laughs> uh, welcome. Uh, <laughs> so this is the season though of, of Advent, all right? And so Advent in itself is a mark of the coming of Christ Jesus as a baby. And then the mark of we now in the in-between time, looking back to when Christ came, looking forward to Christ will come again. We celebrate that. And so last week we introduced to you guys a theme or the, um, um, Advent Conspiracy, and we said that we'd have four themes, and so Advent Conspiracy is a group of churches, thousands of churches throughout the country, uh, that are saying we are seeking intentionally to redeem Christmas, because Christmas has become something that it was never meant to be. And it's not so much put the Christ back in Christmas, it's way more of saying how do we respond to the gospel within um, our Christmas season. And so last week our theme was worship fully. We believe it starts with worshiping Christ Jesus and all that we do. Um, and this week, it's going to be spend less. And so as we think about the week this week, and we think about um, giving gifts to people, how can we spend less this year? I think it's something over $450 million people spend over Christmas uh, during this season. And we're just saying, how about we spend less um, for the sole purpose to give more, which is going to be our theme next week. And so when we say by giving more or spending less, it means instead of buying presents, how about we give presents Meaning, give ourselves to people. Um, one of the th- ways that we're doing that is we are intentionally serving the Crisis Pregnancy Center as a church and signing up for volunteer hours to serve with them. Other ways could be that you spend time, intentional time, create space to be with your family, to be with your loved ones, um, to fly. Sometimes you may actually spend more money to go to be with them, but it's saying, I'm going to slow down during this season um, or just have gifts for the rest of the year to tell people, I'm going to intentionally take you to coffee every first Wednesday of the month or whatever it may be. Just think of those ways to say, let's give our presence. Because when we see the gospel narrative, that's how God did for us, is that he gave us Christ Jesus as a baby. Um, He gave us Christ Jesus uh, to be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But the story of Christmas lets us know that God desires to be with us. And in response to that, it should be our desire to be with one another. And so we celebrate the baby Jesus. Now, with that, during our time of Advent and this season, we also get to celebrate not only the birth of Christ, but this time we get to um, have the opportunity to celebrate our babies. But before we do that, I want to light the Advent candle. And um, as I'm lighting the Advent candle, I want to invite all the parents who are dedicating their children this morning. Would you guys come up to the stage? And I will have an opportunity to do baby dedication. So feel free at this moment to come forward, and I'll light the Advent candle. Okay. Feel free to, like, you know, welcome them up to the stage. Nice one. Welcome. Just, just, just cute kids. Um, so this is why we do baby, de- baby dedications here at Redemption. Um, we do believe that, um, that God himself is the one who saves our children. And he's the one who promises through the work of Christ Jesus to open up their lives to see Jesus. 
However, he's given us a responsibility and a privilege with children, uh, not just as the parents who are here, but also the congregation within the church of body of believers to help raise these children. Uh, we do believe that it takes a community to raise a child, and therefore, we have covenant commitments today to help raise these children. Um, and so we're going to have an opportunity to hear from them and their names, and then they'll commit by saying, we will. And then later, we'll have an opportunity for the congregation to stand to commit to raising the children in a way that would honor God, would love God, would respect God, and then pray for these young, cute children uh, to grow up to know Jesus. And so I'm going to start from my left to my right, and then whoever would be your spokesperson to introduce yourself as well as your, yeah, exactly, the representative of your family, uh, to introduce yourselves as well as your, your child before um, before the congregation. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Shawnee Kenny. This is my husband, Nathan, and this is Tyler. Can you say hi? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And. No, it's good. Uh, okay. No, yeah, thanks a lot. You want to say hi again? Say hi. Yep. <laughs> so, all right. Hello. Good morning. Uh, this is my wife, Laura McPeak. Um, this is our daughter, Geneva. Uh, she just turned 11 months a couple days ago. Um, Scott and Laura McPeak. Um, we just started coming here about a month ago. We just moved up here from Tucson. Uh, we attended an Acts 29 church back in Omaha for about five years. So, so. She said, grab the mic. No, you're good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so here's where we'll get to the covenant part. I'll look at you guys, and you guys, when I'm done, you will respond by saying, we will. So, do you guys commit to raising your kids in a way that loves the Lord, to discipline them, to protect them, and to teach them the scriptures, to provide for them, and to create a family and a home environment that they could be raised in, that the Holy Spirit of Christ would open up their lives to trust Jesus? Do you commit? All right, congregation, would you all please stand? Do we as a congregation commit to helping these families come alongside them, to help them and encourage them, whether that be through money, that there be through time or through prayer. It could be the means of serving in the children's ministry or any ways creatively that we can think of to help these families raise these children. There's a commitment for us as a body to come alongside them and every single child that we have here that our children would grow up not just liking church, but by faith, loving Jesus. Do we commit? We will. All right, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me as we pray over them? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. And Lord, even for us as we look at these children here, Lord, to think about you coming as a baby. And Lord, how you entrusted yourself, Jesus, into your Father. God, may we take our children as a church and entrust them to you. Help us to play our part well as members of this church, as attenders of this church, as well as the families that are represented here. God, we ask for your sovereign grace to be revealed through them. These, the young women and men of our church, that they would grow to know Christ, God. We thank you for your grace, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. We thank you for the life that is is evident in our body. And we thank you for all that you've done, Christ, for your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys thank the, would you guys thank the families again? And please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Good morning. The scripture for today's sermon is from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. (laughs) Welcome again. Hey, uh, real quick, I just have a few announcements. Um, If you've been here for the past few weeks, um, you've heard me say, I made a mistaken announcement, I made a mistaken announcement, I'm done. No, I lied. Um, One other thing that I need to correct here about Christmas um, services. Um, So hear me clearly, and I think I'm going to say it right, and if I I don't, I'll be back again next week telling you guys I made another mistake. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm getting good at it. First, December 23rd, we are having a normal Sunday service, and it's going to be only for the 9 a.m. and the 1045, which wouldn't matter for most of you guys because that's a service that you normally attend. Um, However, I said that our children's play will be on Christmas Eve, which is the next day. However, it's going to be on the 23rd. And so let me get this clear. Um, 23rd on a Sunday, we'll have a 9 a.m. service as well as a 1045 a.m. service. That'll be a regular service with the children a part of that. Um, The next day for Christmas Eve, we'll have a 5 p.m. as well as 11 p.m. service. And we we encourage all of you to be there at both days. Uh, It'll be a shorter service on the second day so we can encourage one another and be with one another in the Lord. Okay? Um, Second announcement is last week when we started Advent, we talked about Crisis Pregnancy Center and how we were going to give volunteer hours to the Tempe Center here. And I just want to let you guys know, just to encourage you all, is uh, they were here last week and they were taking sign-ups for people who would uh, donate hours. And they said they got more hours donated in one day than they've ever had. And so that's a blessing to you guys, um, an encouragement to you guys that you guys are a blessing to to Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, The follow-up to that was going to say that not only were we going to give presents to Crisis Pregnancy Center, Center, but we're going to actually give money for our Advent offering on the 23rd, that Sunday. Um, we're going to have a special offering above and beyond our normal giving to raise money for families within the um, organization of Christian Family Care. It's an adoption organization that helps people um, donate, excuse me, adopt children. And uh, we do believe that that's a part of the role of the church to be a part of that. And we wanted to offset the cost more specifically to families who are adopting children with disabilities. And so we want to be able to come alongside them. And again, every, all the money that we raise in that special offering on the 23rd will go towards Christian family care. So as you think about it in your prayers, be praying for Crisis Pregnancy Center as well as uh, Christian family care. Um, I think that's all I have for our announcements. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you guys meet me in 1 Peter chapter 5. First uh, Peter chapter 5, um, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, will you raise your hand and uh, keep your hand raised high? Then one of the guys, one of the gals will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, raise it really high. If you don't own a Bible, please um, keep, the, keep the copy that we give to you so that you can have a copy of God's Word to, to read and to pray um, and to understand what it is that God is teaching us. So as you turn there, um, First Peter is coming to a close. This is the second to last sermon we're going to have during our series. Um, Peter has been talking about suffering and suffering and suffering. And, and now in this particular point of the letter, he transitions to talking about those who would lead, as Christians, other people who suffer. And so primarily he's talking to elders, men who were called by God to shepherd the flock. Um, people like myself who were called the office of elder to lead people. But I do believe that though specifically he's talking about leadership within the local church, I think these principles of leadership are broad enough, the qualities of a leader, that would be able to help all of us. No matter whether we lead with our friendships or with our families, in our organizations, in school, or whatever it may be, I do believe these attributes should be in all Christians. 
These qualities should be in all Christians. And there's four uh, special qualities I believe that Peter has here as he talks about humble leadership. Um, The first one is that a leader should be self-aware. The second is that a leader should be a servant and seeking to serve. The third is a leader should be submissive, willing to fall under people and learn. And then lastly, to be humble. So to be self-aware, to be a servant, to be submissive, and to be humble. So before we get into God's word, would you guys bow your heads with me and let's ask God by his Holy Spirit to, uh, to teach us his word and humble us all by the work of Christ. Father, we thank you. We constantly thank you, Lord. There's so much to be thankful for, and especially in a day like today. Got the simple weather, Lord, to give us cool air. The birth of babies. Father, the adoption of your people into your family. And us to be a representation of that to help those adopt in this congregation as well as in this world. God, we could be thankful so much because we do know that your son Jesus came in a manger and went to the cross and he died for our sins. God, we could be thankful in this season, God, because we can remember the promise that you were coming back to restore all things. Father, we're thankful for the many who will be baptized today who will believe upon Jesus. We're thankful for our family, our friends. God, we're thankful for you, for your sovereignty, that you control all things, Lord. So in the midst of good times, bad times, suffering, and joys, God, we ask that we would supremely seek your son, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. When you think about humility... Um, to me, humility is one of those hard things to teach on because I'm getting up in front of you guys and I'm going to teach you about what it means to be a humble leader and I'm supposed to be your humble leader and, and I know myself, right? And, and that's hard. Um, but all of us can think of people in our lives who have been good leaders for us and we can look to those people. And so I was thinking about this last night. Who are the four most influential people in my life outside of my wife? People who have helped me in leadership. And the first person, and you've heard me say this and you've heard me say it again and again, is my mother. Um, I had a great mom growing up, and my mom was just, just a blessing to me, and she taught me a lot of things. My mom was one of the toughest people you'll ever meet. Um, mom, my mom still is one of the toughest people that you'll, you'll ever meet, and, um, and she taught us some hard lessons, and I, I loved her for it. And one of the lessons that my mom taught me that I love was um, never quit. And not in just some never quit, rah-rah message. She taught me and when I was in fourth grade, I think I was eight or nine years old, and somehow I had got into a choir um, we tried out, and somehow I got into a choir, which makes no sense to me. I have my reasons and assumptions of why they put me on the choir, but I won't get into that here. And, and um, I'm in this choir, and, uh, and I realize I don't know any of the people. I don't like any of the people. I don't like the teacher. I don't like singing. I don't know music. I mean, why am I in a choir? I can't sing, right? Well, I told my mom, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the choir. And she goes, absolutely not. And I remember her saying this. Again, eight or nine years old, if you quit now, you'll quit the rest of your life. If you quit now, you'll quit the rest of your life. And that lesson in itself just stuck with me. You just don't quit. You can't quit on things. You can't. You've got to finish it into the course. And that's something I believe for us, and especially as a younger church, is like that's just something that's really, really important and vital to our life. The other three people, uh, it's a good friend of mine, Tyler Johnson, who's the lead pastor of All Redemption. You've seen Tyler. He's a, he's a, I joke around with him a lot because uh, he's a good friend, but he is uh, very, very valuable to me in my life and has been very inspirational in my life, like supreme. I love the guy to death. And it's hard for me to talk about our relationship without being choked up because I, I genuinely, genuinely love this man. Um, another person was my friend Eli. Eli was the first person to disciple me. He's, uh, my, my second son is named Eli, and he's equally as tough as Eli who discipled me. Um, Eli was really tough. In fact, I don't even talk to him anymore. Um, 
but love them. And then the next, the next, the next person um, is a guy named Tim Mon, who is the lead pastor over at the Gilbert campus, just taught me security and what it means to just stand before you all and preach God's word unashamedly. Just do it. Um, I appreciate that. And I think every single one of those guys and my mom, they all have flaws and they need Jesus, but you can see aspects of humility through them. And I think all of us have people that we can look to. Whether they were Christian or not, we can look to them and go, man, those are people who were influenced my life. What, what I believe that Peter is encouraging us, primarily the elders of the church, but I think more broadly as believers in Christ Jesus, in the midst of suffering world and a broken world, not to be complainers, but to be people who can lead through it. Um, and people in marketplace, people in the home, people in education, people in politics, wherever your sphere of influence is, is how can you take these attributes, these qualities that are yours only in Christ Jesus and by faith and display those things? And so Peter gives us those four things that I believe that a leader needs to have. And the first is to be self-aware. And Peter shows us that. Verse 1, chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here's what Peter's point. He says, I exhort the elders. And he, he doesn't say, I exhort you under the authority of being an apostle, though he could have. He says as a fellow elder. So the first thing, he's aware that he is a pastor just as well as the other men in which he's encouraging in this text. Um, first and foremost, I think what Peter is letting us know that no matter what our influence is or what our job title is, we're just normal people. We're just everyday Joe and everyday Bob and everyday Sally and, and, and Jamila, whatever your name may be, right? They're, they're, you're, just, you're just an everyday person. But the self-awareness part that Peter gives us here, in continuing in verse 1, it says, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I think that witness of the sufferings of Christ to me is, shows that Peter has an under, understanding and a self-awareness of himself. Meaning, he could have said, as someone who's witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even Peter could have said, as someone who's witnessed the glory of Christ, because he was on the Mount Transfiguration, as it says in one of the gospel stories, where, where Jesus reveals his glory, and, and Moses is there, and Elijah is there, people who had dead. In, in this moment, Peter saw that. He doesn't, he doesn't lean on that. Peter... Peter could have said, I was there the day the church started, the first church plant ever. I was there. God poured out his Holy Spirit. There were some great miraculous signs. Men and women were speaking in tongues and different languages and people were getting saved. Peter could have said, I preached the first sermon in the first church. And guess what? On my first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Top that, right? He, he, could have, he could have said that. But he says, no, no, no. As a witness of the sufferings of Christ." And when you know the narrative of Peter, you can relate to it. Because remember the context of our, our letter here. The context is that men and women were suffering for being Christians, meaning they were having social persecution. People, um, because they were proclaiming the name of Christ and they were being witnesses of Jesus. They were living like Christians and they were losing friends and family members because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Peter remembers back some 40, 50, 50 years before this when Peter himself um, needed the cross. Because when Jesus was going to the cross, if you don't know the story about Peter, Peter denied Jesus not once, but three times because of the persecution socially that would happen to him or even the potential physical persecution. Now as someone who's walked with Christ over a period of time, he's encouraging these believers to say, hey, I've been in your shoes before and I know what it's like to fail and to walk away from Christ in that moment because of friends or the particular grouping of people that I'm around. And, and he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. What he's saying is, I understand my sin, and therefore I can help you. The first thing of being a leader is being self-aware and know that you are a sinner. Meaning that your sin is not greater than other people's. It's not less. You're just a sinner. 
If anything, it should seem greater than other people's, but not in some self-absorbed way, running around saying, I'm the worst person in the world. No, I'm the worst person in the world. That, that's, that's not humility by any means. Peter's self-aware because he knows he needs the cross, but not only does he, he knows that he's a sinner and he needs the cross, but he understands the power of the cross. Meaning if you finish verse, verse 5 or verse 1, it says this, as well, not of the cross, but as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's speaking in the future. Meaning he has humility and boldness at the same time. He has humility because he knows that he's a sinner in the same way that these men and women are, the same way that we are some 2,000 years later. That we acknowledge our sin. I don't know your sin, but you do. Right? And we understand our need for the cross. And here's what the cross does. The cross shows us that, that God's wrath was poured out. That God's justice was poured out. And it should have been poured out on us, but it wasn't. And so there's humility there. There's a sense of saying, I'm a sinner, but Jesus did something for me. And then on the flip side of that, because Christ was raised from the dead, we know by fact, by faith, not in what we've done, but what in Christ has done, that we will see him. That when he comes in the second advent, that we will, we will be revealed this glory. And so Peter has this awareness of how to live life, how to do ministry, how to be a leader, how to be a man, how to be a woman in Jesus Christ. It comes with the confidence of knowing who you are in Jesus, that you are sinner and saint at the same time. You see, some people have an, uh, a narrative that says it's... Um, pull myself up by the, by the bootstrap, you know, just kind of, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I got issues, and I'm going to work my way out of it. Um, and, and that way, what you realize is, trying to do that long enough, is you can't get yourself out of your own sin. And so when you look at the cross, it'll crush you. It'll crush you because you have an understanding of God's holiness and God's standard, and yet no ability to reach it. On the other side, we overemphasize those of us in the entitlement narrative that, you know, God just supposed to do something for us. Of course, Jesus died for me. Right? We hear that language. It's happened to all of us where Jesus died on the cross for me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of get that. No, really? There's no way that if you hear that and you just nonchalantly say, I just kind of get that, that you really get it. Because that side, you, you overemphasize God's love and God's grace, but you don't understand his holiness and his standards and his wrath. And therefore, the cross just seems trivial to you. Right? It's no different than someone opening the door for you. It's like uh, someone opens the door for you. You kind of go, oh, cool. I appreciate that. Thanks. You know, I could have done it myself, but whatever. Thanks. Right? Jesus died on the cross for me. Oh, cool. It's just like opening the door for me. And that, that's not understanding of being self-aware. Being self-aware is understanding humility and boldness at the same time. Realizing that you are a sinner and you were so bad that God himself looked at your situation and said, there's no hope unless I die for him or I die for her. Right? That should humble you because you couldn't do it. But on the flip side, you should have boldness and confidence. Because in the same way that God looked at your situation, at our situation, and realized there was no hope apart from him, and he had to do it, God himself was pleased to do it. Our confidence comes that we were so bad that God, the God of this universe had to die for us. We were so loved that he was pleased to do it. Peter gets that. When we start off and understanding what does it mean to be a leader, not just an elder in the church, but a leader, a man, a woman, is you need to know your identity in Christ. Because if not, you'll try to find your identity somewhere else. You'll find it in what people say. You'll find it in what society's saying at this particular time and what you wear, what you have, what you don't have. Instead of knowing who you are, first and foremost, I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I've received that grace perfectly, supremely in the work of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that Peter gives us is that, one, we need to be self-aware. The second thing he gives us is that we need to be a servant. And what he does in verses 2 through 3 is he gives us a picture of a servant, um, first by talking about elders. And then he has um, um, negative qualities and positive things that we ought to be doing, and he juxtaposes them too. But before, um, he deals with that of an elder. So verse 2 says this, when it comes to being a servant. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So first thing Peter does with here is he deals with that of elder. Now he uses a few words in here interchangeably, and that is elder, that is pastor, and that is also the word bishop. And so all of those, those words, they're used interchangeably with the same person. Um, so the way that we use the language here in Redemption Tempe is that we use elder pastors. All of your elders are pastors. All your pastors are elders. Um, when we say we use them interchangeably, because the Bible uses them interchangeably. So when it comes, the elder is the office. That's the office. And then the function of that is to be a pastor. And so that's what we have. So um, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to First Timothy uh, chapter 3, and if not, it's going to be on the screen here to my right. And we're just going to talk about the qualifications of elders. So the elders here, these are the qualifications of every single man that leads here as an elder. And I'll walk through this here briefly. Um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy um, about particularly the local church, and here's what he says, chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so first and foremost, anyone who wants to be an elder, it's a noble task. However, when any guy comes to me and says, hey, I think I want to do your job, I say, no, 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 don't do my job. Do anything else, die. Do anything but this, right? Um, And the reason why I do that is not because I'm, oh, my job is so hard. No, 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 no. My job's hard in certain ways, just like your job's hard in certain ways. But you want to make sure it's a calling. Meaning it shouldn't be something, I can't do anything else, and so I should become a pastor, right? No, don't do that. It should be a call at some level. And everyone's call is different, but there should be a call in your life from a sovereign Lord that says, this is what you should be doing. And again, the call in itself, it comes to different people in different ways. Mine was different than every other person on this staff. But I knew without a shadow of doubt, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, at least for now. Um, Tim Anderson is one of our elders just saying, hey, you always say this for now. Like, do you not plan on doing this for a long time? No, I plan on doing this forever. I just don't know if God wants me to do this forever. And that's not to hide behind. Um, if somebody else comes and, and takes my job because that's who God has, uh, listen, guess what? I won't be here anymore. You can't beat God. Just, just surrender, right? And so the point here is, if you do have the desire, it's a noble task. Well, Paul continues and he says, therefore, an overseer must be, the, must be above reproach, should be godly, The husband of one wife, just one wife. Some of you guys are like, I'm checked out. Never mind. Haters. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Let me pause there. Uh, on behalf of every pastor in the universe, um, speaking on my, my, own half, my own behalf, though, is that verse in itself has been used in ways that has not been healthy in the church. Meaning, anyone here as a pastor's kid knows exactly what I'm talking about, is, or a pastor's wife, or a pastor, just knows a pastor's wife. That, 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 that one line there, that controlling his house, his kids to be submissive, has led people to think that pastor's kids are the best. And you have parents who say they, they want their kids to be around pastor's kids to be an influence. No, no, no. They're just kids. These babies that were up here, they're just babies. My, my kids, they're just kids. They're going to do dumb things. And they're going to do things that Holly and I have to correct. And that we have been given the God-given ability and privilege and responsibility to correct those things and to raise them. Theologically, biblically, we know we cannot save our kids. We can't. There's nothing, I cannot will my kids, I can't even will my kids now to do what I want them to do, let alone to save them. So, that's not what it's saying. So trust me on this. 
If some of our kids, they may make terrible decisions they grow up in this church. They may not, you know, have their purity before they get married. They, they, they may fail in areas and that many of us fail. The role of the elder in this position and his wife is to shepherd them through that, to care for them, to love them. All right, so with that, I've heard a pastor say this, and I would say it too. Best thing you can do for us is to, to help our kids not hate this church. And here's a way you can do it. Treat them like every other kid. Don't expect them to know all the scripture. Uh, don't expect them to always behave. Um, our kids will do dumb things, right? I'm going to say this now. I will never be able to say this again because it's going to embarrass the snot on my kid. Noah, about six months ago, um, in between the five and the seven, um, was playing around and with the kids, and they used to run around in here and stuff. And I said, hey, dude, do you go to the bathroom? He goes, no, I'm good, I'm good. I look over, and he's peeing right over there <laughs> on the floor. And he's just sitting there, and I'm like, hey, at least he didn't pee on himself, right? And so I had to go and clean it all up before the 7 o'clock service came in. And the 7 o'clock service, they were like, cool, we, we do that at home too, right? So, so like, like, he's going to do dumb stuff. Now, I, again, I don't, when he gets older, don't say, hey, your dad shared that story. It's funny, though. Uh, another thing is this. One of, the, one of the things that happens naturally is either the kids get treated, they get treated better sometimes more than other kids. Don't do that. Don't, just don't do that. Just treat them normally. Don't treat them worse. Just treat them normally. Uh, one of the times um, in children's ministry at a different church, um, Noah, when he was younger, he liked a hula hoop um, that they played with. And um, the lady says, oh, he really liked it. The next week, gave my wife a hula hoop. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like, we appreciate that. And like, we appreciate the heart behind it. But like, if every other kid's not getting hula hoops, like, this kid's just got to be like a normal kid. Like, he's just got to be a normal kid. That's the best thing you can do in the helping our kids. Just let them be normal. Let them make mistakes. That's the best thing you can do. Now, the next part is a pastor's wife, which is another thing that in ministry, all of us have grown up in, all of us, many of us have grown up in churches, and we have an idea of what the pastor wife does. She plays the piano. She leads the women's ministry. Um, she sings. Listen, I love my wife. I love you, sweetheart. And, and she knows I love her. She can't sing, right? I can't sing. Nobody in our family is going to be able to sing. And so you're probably not going to see her sing. If you do, that's on me. I'm not being a good leader. I should never put people in front of you. I can't sing, right? So, so just, just keep that in perspective. Here's the role of the pastor's wife at Redemption, and I believe the pa- role of the pastor's wife at every church biblically, to love Jesus, follow him, to love her husband, follow him, to care for, if they have, to care for the kids in which God has given them, and be a member of the church and serve. That's it just like we would have every woman or every man in here to do. That's the best thing you do is to have normal expectations. Now, I say that to you guys, but I'm preaching to the choir. You guys already treat us like that. I just want to make sure that that's never clearly been said. That's the best way to take this text is let us raise our kids, and you can come alongside us. Let us know when they pee on the floor, when they, when they do things they shouldn't be doing, right? Let us know and let us correct it. Amen? Thank you. All right, continuing. Six. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. So there's the qualification of an elder. Notice that there's only one ability that they need to have. All of its qualities and there's character. The only ability they need to have is to be able to teach. That's why when I teach that text to guys I'm discipling, I'm saying this is to be for every Christian. These are just good qualities that every Christian should have. The only ability there is the ability to, to teach. Um, so what, what we should know as Christians is our character, no matter what our calling may be, our character has to be equal to our calling. 
What I mean is a lot of us are called and given so many gifts and so many talents um, within the marketplace, within life, just the ability to communicate or to build things. But our calling is so clear, but our character is muddy. It'd be better for us to have clear character and muddy calling as we figure it out. Because the character is what lasts. That's what Peter is talking about here. And so when it comes to um, not only being self-aware, understanding your sin and your Savior, but being a servant. That the role of an elder is to be a servant. Therefore, now, broadly, the role of a Christian is to be a servant. And Peter gives us a few things here, again, juxtaposed. One is emotional. One, excuse me, the first one is volition. And the, last one is, the second one is more emotional. And the third is behavior. Here's what he says, uh, continuing in verse 2. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And compulsion means that you have to. That you, I have to do this. Oh, I have to go to work today. Oh, I have to love my wife today. Oh, I have to kiss my kids today. All the things that God's given you is saying, listen, don't have that, that mindset. You are choosing to act and behave that way. But have the choice, it says, willingly. Meaning that, that means have a desire to do it, have a choice to do it. You have a choice to, if you're an elder, you have a choice to be an elder, so lead without complaining. If you are a parent, lead without complaining. If you have a job, work without complaining. Let me say that again. If you have a job, work without complaining. No, we live in reality. I get it. There are, you, you, you're saying, yeah, I chose this job, but it was the only one there. I don't like the people there. That's fine. That's fine. However, if you are in Christ Jesus, that's something you should work on. So how can I serve these people here? How can I serve those who I don't like? How can I serve in, a, in an industry, in a corporation, in a school that I, that I, I don't agree with everything with? How do, how do I serve it? Be a servant there. And it's a choice. That means you have the ability by Christ to be able to choose to work in a wholesome way. Um, some of us, we look at work in itself um, as a means to an end, and that's it. I go to work, I punch a clock, I get money, and I pay for my family, or I pay for my bills, and it's a means to an end, and that's it. But work is far more than that. In fact, I think we can learn from our artists here. Um, one thing that artists would always tell you is art is just not good art or bad art, but there's intrinsic value with an art. It's, the, it's there's intrinsic value. They'll use that word all the time. I think we take that into work, too. Work is something that's gifted by God. It was given to us before the fall of sin that Adam was called and Eve called to do something. Now, after the fall, clearly there's sin and it's tainted. However, it's still something that God declared good. Therefore, there's intrinsic value there. And that we as believers in Christ Jesus, imagine what it would be if we went into our work with an attitude that was changed, that we chose as leaders within our organizations, no matter what leadership position we have, is that we chose to serve people. That was the choice. The next thing that Peter gives is more of a desire or emotion. He says, not for shameful game, but eagerly. Shameful game means the, the, the attention. Don't just do it to get the intention. Don't just do it to make more money. Um, he's saying, don't, don't, do, don't go in the ministry to make money. Don't just go into your industry just to make more money or to be seen as a good parent or a good worker or a good pastor or a good man or a good woman. Don't do it for those reasons. The motivation is wrong in that. You see, there's nothing wrong with being a good leader. There's nothing wrong with making even more money in your industry. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is not evil. People are evil. It's the motivations that we use and, and that we, we manipulate to get that money. He says, that's not a way to serve, but a way to serve, he says, eagerly. I Meaning, have a desire to serve. Have a desire to be with people. Have a desire to care for people. Particularly here, he's talking to people like me. Have a desire to care for y'all. To care for the people that God places before us and say, what can we do to care for them through the teaching of the word, through singing, through discipleship? What can we do and have a desire to do such? And the last one that he has here is behaviors. It's to do something. He says this in verse 3. 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you have domineering and example. Domineering means to take your authority, take your role, and just plow over people to get what you want. And sadly, that's what happens in every area, even in ministry. Some of the most insecure people in this world are those who are good at things. Some of the most insecure people are those who are good at business, those who are good at parenting, those who are good at teaching, those who are good at ministry, pastors, some of the most insecure people. And, and you can see it because they always want things done their way. The right, their way is always the right way. They can't be wrong. And you just see it in them. That, that, and they, they just walk over people. They dominate. Now, I'm not saying be overly passive. I'm just saying Peter's saying don't dominate people because of your power. Because the influence you have, right? I think of it in, in a light way, like the way we were parent, uh, the way we were parented, you know? You know, our parents did it. Dad, how come we can't do this? Because dad said so. And I was like, dang. Dad, how, why is this this way? Because dad said so. I was like, gosh, is that the answer to everything? Dad, why is the sky blue? Because dad said so. It's like, all right, well, clearly, everything's about you, dad, right? They're, they're, sometimes we lead in that way. Instead of, it says here, be an example. Instead of just telling people what to do and forcing them to do it, be an example. You take this in parenting. Be an example to your children how to pray. One of the things Holly and I were talking about is we keep telling Noah how to control his emotions. I don't know if you guys have ever been around three-year-olds. They whine, just in case you didn't know. And Noah, you got to control your emotions. you got to control your emotions. And the whole time, I'm, no, you got to control your emotions, man. And I'm like, and I see myself getting angry and angry and angry. I threw him through the window, but then I caught him. And then there's, there's like, no. I'm just getting so angry. And I'm like, I'm telling him, like, control your emotions. And meanwhile, I'm getting upset. And the reason why I know it is because when Eli does something to him, Noah does the same thing. What, Eli? And there's just like this look, and I'm like, right? That's bad discipleship right there. And so there's, but there should be a positive way, a healthy way, that when we serve people, to come alongside them and show them, hey, buddy, hey, hey, how about we work on this right now? Hey, hey, well, you're in your, in your place of work. Hey, this is how I would like for this to see. This is what I'm able to do here. I can only show you once. I don't have the time, but I would like for you to do it this way. Thank you so much. And then pull away. Um, and your friendships, be an example. The way that you serve, just be an example in the way Christ has been an example for us. And so, for one, be self-aware. Be self-aware. If you understand your sin and understand your Savior, also be a servant. Do so in a way that you choose to be, that you grow in a desire to have, and be an example to the people around you. I honestly, if most of us who have jobs here would go into the industry and continue, not just tomorrow, but who just lived like that uniquely um, and with endurance. If we just took these principles, if we pastored that way, I mean, just imagine what our city could look like. Imagine what people would think about the gospel of Christ because they would ask us at some point, why do you do that? Here. Christ served me. Christ served me. The, the th- third thing is be submissive. Verse, verses 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Again, elders there is not so much um, age as it is the office. Um, though you would like to have elders who are older, um, as I say that, I know you guys are like, yeah, <laughs> right? Um, in fact, this past week, uh, we're, we're thanking God because I finally turned 30 a couple weeks ago that we have no more elders or in their 20-somethings. We're, we are old, right? And so <laughs> the position of elder, and it says younger people. Now, it is talking age when it says younger. I think Peter is saying the people who are most likely not to follow are young people. There is this something about young people, now I include myself into that, it, that we just don't want to listen. And when it comes to older people, we just think, ah, oh, it's old. It's, it's old-fashioned. Oh, you're old-fashioned. 
I remember talking to my friend. I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you live with Holly yet? I'm like, no, nah, we're going to wait until we get married. Oh, you're old-fashioned. It's like, sure, right? Sounds like an ice cream or something. No, I'm just trying to love the Lord in this sense. Um, we, we're, young people are like that. They don't want anything that happened um, years ago. In fact, anything that happened 20 minutes ago was irrelevant to us. It's just kind of like whatever is now, whatever is next. And so therefore, there's not a whole lot of people that are looking to follow. However, if you want to be a good leader, you have to follow people. You have to. You have to put yourself in a position to follow people. People who are more experienced than you are, whatever that particular thing is. If it's a Christian, you follow a mature Christian. If you are in banking, you, you, you follow someone who's mature in that industry, an accountant, whatever that may be, you follow. It's the reason why most um, organizations and industries are set up that way. Before you become a teacher, you are a student teacher. It happens that way. You, before you become a grad teacher, you become a grad assistant. And before you become a mature Christian, a mature leader, you got to follow people. And now the, the response is, okay, but we don't have a lot of older people in our church. We don't have a lot of older people in our church. Listen, one, we don't have a ton, but we do have some. And, and, and most of you guys are usually here in the morning. Appreciate it. All right? But we have. But you, young people, hear me. You have to seek it. You have to seek it because here's what happens. We don't have any mature Christians. i got to go to another church. Don't be a consumer. Don't be a consumer. It's easy. That is the narrative of our culture. I'm going to go find something. I like the music over here. I like the teaching over there. I like the old people over there. I'll go to all three churches. Find somewhere and put your roots down. You don't belong to a church because of what it can give you, but what you, by Christ, can serve to give to the body. That, that, that is something that's almost revolution now when it comes to us as younger people. So um, just because you don't see older people, don't assume that they're not here. Contact us. Find us. We will connect you with them. And if not right away, just wait. And then when you meet with them, continually meet with them. Don't expect, don't expect from them to email you back, all right? That's not usually what they're good at, right? We'll set you up with them and then <laughs> we'll set you up with them and let you know where to go. Meet them there. And when they're there, listen to them. Listen to them. Don't go, oh, my mom used to say that. So what? So what? Learn from them. There's so much we can learn. Last, last week, there was a couple who was here visiting and, and I knew them and they've been married for like, I think a thousand years and it was amazing. Um, Every time I see the, 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 the husband, and this is just great, he walks out and they walk real slow and they get to the car. He goes around, he opens up her door, she gets in, he closes the door, he walks all the way around, gets in the car, and I'm going, ah, oh, that is amazing. Me, I'm like, choo choo. Hey, the door's unlocked. <laughs> Here we are. It's like, and I'm like, that, that's convicting, right? There's maturity there. There's maturity that, that we can have and we can learn from people. And so we can connect people there. We can learn as, as young people. And it says just be subject. Be subject. Listen. Learn. Be okay to be told that you're wrong. Be okay to be corrected in a lot of ways. Be, be okay with having conviction. It's a good, it's a very, very, very good thing. But don't consume. Don't consume. So if you're, if you're visiting here today, uh, I'm not ripping on you for visiting here. I'm just saying people who are in a church, love a church, stay at a church, serve at that church. Um, grow old in that church, and then you could be the old people reaching out to the young people. Just think of it that way. All right? Last thing. Um, self-aware. Um, be, be self-aware. Be a servant. Be submissive. Last one here is be humble. Second part of verse 5, it says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Now he's talking to every single person, not just elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter's saying, clothe yourself. The picture there is wrap yourself with something that is not natural. It is not natural for us to be humble. 
It is not natural for me to be humble. I, I, sometimes being humble is like trying to fall asleep. It's like you, if you try really hard at it, you're never going to be able to accomplish it. And as soon as you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a humble person, everyone goes, yeah, not anymore, right? You can't, humility is something that is impossible apart from God. And yet Peter's commands us to clothe ourselves, every single one of us, with humility. And he says, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he opposes the proud. And so what he's calling us to do is cultivate within our lives humility. Meaning no matter what type of leader you are or you will be, no, ma- no matter what type of person you are, man or woman, young or old, one thing you should get here is not just, you'll never be self-aware and you'll never be a servant or submissive if you don't grow in cultivating humility. And so there's a few things that I wrote down for myself that helped me that I hope would be able to help you when it comes to cultivating humility. The first thing is this, understand and learn the attributes of God. Study the attributes of God. Primarily, his sovereignty. When you can answer that question or study the sovereignty of God, everything else falls in place. Good or bad, you trust that he is in control um, because you are able to see clearly how big he is and how small you are. Now, some of you are going, you know what? I've been to churches, and I know people within this church that love the sovereignty of God, and they're the most arrogant people I know. The sovereignty of God should never produce arrogance. Sin produces arrogance, and all of us are going to have it at some point. But it doesn't mean that you don't study the sovereignty of God, because one, it's an attribute of God. But study all of them, but that will help you see how big he is. The second one is pray. Just pray. Prayer is something so special because no one has to know about it. You can pray whenever. You could be praying right now. You could just be pray- No, it's something no one has to see you praying. You don't have to be a person who prays out loud. You can pray in your, your head. You can, you can write in a journal. Just pray. And not only just pray for people and yourself, ask people to pray for you. Just ask for, just, I need help. I need help. People are asking me, how, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? I'm going to tell you you can pray for me. And this is probably for all the other elders as well, but definitely for me. You can pray that I continue to love my wife a lot. And that I don't put this job, I don't put my children, or anything else above my wife. And you can also pray that I would love my children, and I'd be patient, for lots of patience with my children. Um, And then pray that I'd love you guys well. Those are the things that I know that that I've been called to do. Everything outside of that, it's outside of that. And and, and God will bless in that, but if you can pray for those things, I'd love it. And pray, pray for my spiritual protection, okay? Um, there is spiritual warfare. There are issues that happen. And just pray for that. Just, just pray. I'm young. I get it. I'm young. And I'm maturing in this role as you guys are watching me grow. And just pray for all of us in that sense, all of us as your elders. Um, so ask for prayer and pray. The third thing is be thankful. Just grow in the discipline of being thankful, right? Just thank God for everything. First Thessalonians says, be thankful in every situation. When good things happen, thank the Lord for it. When bad things happen, thank the God, thank the Lord for his presence. Don't, 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 don't fake it. Don't, oh Lord, I'm so happy. Man, I lost my best friend. You're so good. Don't, that's, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Be thankful for God's presence in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your heartaches. Trust that he's with you. Just be thankful. Grow, um, cultivate a theology of thanksgiving, of just thanking the Lord for not just the things that he does, but who he is. Just develop thanking him for the weather that we have. Just thinking, just just a just a great deal of thanksgiving. Um, the fourth the fourth thing that I would say is continue to um, continue to be a learner um, and learn from everyone. Peter Peter says this here. Um, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, um, all of you, with humility towards one another. Like just be humble before people, and so learn from anybody. Um, God gives us so many opportunities and examples and life situations to just learn and just learn. Just listen to people and learn. Um, master the art of being able to eat the fish and spit out the bones. 
All that means is you take the things that you need and the things you don't need, you just, you just throw it out, all right? Um, and just, just learn. Just constantly be a learner. Just trust that people have more to say than you do. Um, and for me, that's really hard because I talk a lot, right? Um, and so the next thing is, is to be open to critique. Like, willingly find, <laughs> willingly find someone who loves you um, to just tell you about yourself. Um, it could be an employer. Uh, it could be a friend. It could be someone in your re- redemption community. Um, I highly recommend, if you're married, that it's your spouse because um, your spouse can just, just tell it like it. They see everything. Yeah, I, you want me to? You sure? Because I got this list, right? Uh, <laughs> just, 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 just open a critique. It's harmful and, um, at the moment, but overall it's good. Like it hurts. It does. It hurts. When you're told that you're not what you think you are, it hurts a little bit, but it's the best thing for you. Just think of it in a simple way. When someone comes up to you and goes, hey, I don't really know you, or I, hey, I love you. Hey, you got something in your tooth right there. Oh, it's like so embarrassing. Like, oh, man, dang, dang, thanks a lot. But you're happy that everybody else didn't see it after that, right? So that just, just be open to critique. And, and there's certain men in my life that will critique me. Um, I think people will say, Ricardo, how do you get to where you are? And that's not like I've made it by any means. But I, I honestly believe that some people taught me how to just take critique. Just take your teeth and just take it and eat the fish and spit out the bones. And I think that's the best thing. I'm young. The only way I can do is make mistakes. I'm going to learn. Um, the best person in my life that critiques me in a way that I ask is my wife in all areas. And even in preaching. And so lately, the, the thing I've been saying critique me on, and she's told me is, um, and I'm working on, I'm working on, is I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but um, I can talk really fast when I preach. So uh, I... <laughs> I've been trying to slow down, right? Uh, and I don't notice it. Like, I go listen to my sermons online. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was fast. When I'm up here, it's really slow, right? So I'm going to work on it later, right? So last thing, most important thing. Most important thing out of all of these is confess openly and know your need for Jesus. There is something about confession that will humble you. When you have to go to another man, if you're a man, another woman, if you're a woman, and to your spouse and say, here's what I've done. And don't trivialize it. Don't make fun of it. Not a joke. Oh, yeah, I did. No, 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 no. It's sin. It's serious. And just saying, here's what I've done. I've acknowledged this. Go to that. Go to that person when you've wronged somebody. Just confess sin. Confess it. Again, what we naturally do, especially if you get more and more um, um, uh, leadership ability, especially like a ministry, it's like, oh, no, you, you're, you're a leader. No, no, no. The reason why you're probably a leader is because you understand who you are in Christ. So confess. Much rather confess sin when it's this small than when everyone finds out about it when it's this big because you never dealt with it. You see, the the way the enemy lies is, oh, no, no, you can deal with it. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it in. No, 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 no. Or tell someone who who is not as strong in the faith as you because what they're going to say is, oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) What can we do, right? And it's not, that's not what you, you need some people to be honest with you in your life, to love you so that you can understand both the truth of God as well as the grace of God. You don't want to be around people who only just tell you the truth, but they show no grace because you may not change. Or people who are only grace, but they show you no truth because you don't know what direction to repent in. But people who will show you truth and grace. And so confession of sin is something that we, we just got to do. It's something we do openly as an elder team here. We just confess and we pray for one another. Because, I don't know if you know this or not, we're sinners too. We're sinners too. And then we also confess our need for Jesus. The reason why Paul, Peter closes this, this first section here in, in verse 5, um, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, it's because the, 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 the reason why he opposes the proud is because the proud oppose him, right? To be proud is to say that you don't need anything. 
You've gotten to where you are because of what you've been able to do, because of the gifts you had, and, and you've worked really hard, and um, you, you're a good, good person. It's all about you. And so essentially what you're doing is you're just rejecting the love of Christ. Meanwhile, the humble, he says, I'm giving grace to. Why? Because the humble are those who are going, God, I need help. I have been given a lot, and I haven't done the best with it. I have been given things. I have a good family, but I haven't done the best with it. And I, I'm out. I, I need help. There are two postures that I believe we see in athletics that are helpful for us in our Christian walk. Or it could be helpful for those of you who are here who have never believed in Jesus. One is in basketball, and the other one is football. Um, the one in basketball is every once in a while when a player commits a foul, he or she will raise her hand and, and kind of just go, hey, that, that was on me. Even though it's not their job. It's actually on the referee. The referee is supposed to go, no, I saw that. I'm calling the foul on this person right here. He's got a foul. But sometimes you'll just see people, and they'll just put their hand in the air to let everybody else know on the court, in the stands, uh, through the camera, uh, on national television, that was me. Like, I will take responsibility of the foul that I just had. Even though it was a, the ref already knew it. The other, the other posture is that of, in football. Um, every once in a while, running back or quarterback or any, any athlete on the football field, when he is tired, the thing he'll do is this universal signal is he'll tap his helmet. And what that knows, tells the coach is, I need a substitute. I'm out. Like, I can't go another play. Like, I need, I need a sub. Get a sub in for me. So when you see that, that means someone's coming in for him. The reason why I think both of those metaphors would be helpful for us as we grow and cultivate humility, meaning all of those things, the way that we'll be self-aware and the way that we'll grow in being servants and submissive and the way that we'll cultivate humility is first and foremost by acknowledging our sin and saying before God, who already knows, it's me. Like, it's not the family I grew up in. It's not the bad circumstances that have happened in my life. It's not her. It's not him. God, it is me. And I, it's on me. That's acknowledging your sin. Not just to become a Christian, but as you grow as a Christian. And the way that we become Christians and grow as Christians is also is when we can just say, Lord, I'm all out. I need a substitute. I can't go. I can't do. I can't do what needs to be done. I need a substitute. Gosh, that's humility. And that's the way God gives grace. Because as soon as we say, God, it's on me, and we acknowledge our sin, and we say, Lord, I need, I need a substitute, he's given us that already in Christ Jesus. He's the complete substitute that we needed. He's the one who can go the distance. He's the, one who only, the only one who could. We should have never been in the game. The whole time, the role of the Christian is literally to look at Christ and celebrate what he's done and realize he's the trailblazer. He's the one who goes before us. We don't only just follow him, but he's also given us a spirit that we now can live the life that he's called us to live. He's the one who's a substitute for us because we're the ones who fouled and, and our, we never were fouled out. Christ himself went to the cross for us. The way that we grow in humility is by acknowledging sin and acknowledging the reason why we sin is because we were never listening, looking into our substitute. We were trying to do things in our own ability that we could not do, but we trust that Christ can do in our behalf. It's the way we become Christians. For those of you here who are not Christians, acknowledge it. You know what? I'm a prideful person. I don't know everything there is to know about Christianity. I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible or baby dedications or baptism. But I do know this. I'm hurting. And I need a substitute. And if Christ has given his life for me, to forgive me of my sins and to go the distance for me, I want to follow him. Gosh, that's how you begin a relationship with Jesus. And guess what? You're, you're good to go. Because the rest of your life, the way that you grow, is by saying, I'm hurting. I'm out. I need to trust in Christ and his strength and his grace. And as we continue to do that, we cultivate in us humility that we may be the servants, we may be humble, that we may be self-aware of our sin, and that we may be able to be submissive to one another um, and grow as a body of believers in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.